0: Welcome to today's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. I'm your host, Wes. Welcome to this week's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast, and actually a brand new year, 2023. It is here. And excited to start off this year with a new episode and a new guest. And I'm glad to have a new guest named Mickey on with us. She's a captain with a um, major airline here in the U.S. She's also a friend of one of our prior guests, Keith Seitz. So I was uh, happy that uh, Keith connected us together. And Mickey, it's great having you on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you. And Happy New Year.
0: Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well. And We've already battled a few little technical challenges, but everything seems to be working good. So I'm glad to have you here. So um, getting into it, you know, not wasting any time. Just the same question I ask everybody as we're going. So tell us your aviation story and how, how did you get started in aviation?
1: Well, my story's a little bit different. And I've listened to a few of your podcasts and I really like how people like they were little and they knew that they wanted to be a pilot. Well, I grew up on a farm, and I, I liked to go. And anytime time my mom or dad said go, I was in the car. So from an early age, I liked to travel, and I thought, well, what can kids do? I could be a truck driver and these things. And I remember the helicopters used to fly over our house, uh, probably from the National Guard, and going to Des Moines. I grew up in Iowa. And I thought, wow, it'd be really great to be a helicopter pilot. So I came home when I was a teenager, and I told my mom and dad, hey, I want to learn how to fly. And my dad very wisely said, well, why don't you go to the airport and see if you even like it? And my dad did not like to fly. So we went to two different airports, and uh, the one guy, the CFI, talked to me. The other guy talked to my dad. So you can probably guess which CFI I flew with. Mm-hmm. So I went to the airport where the guy talked to me. And I got a job actually working in a junk mail factory. So I could support uh, my flight training. And okay. I had two two other jobs at the time, part-time jobs. And so I would work from midnight or from uh, four to midnight and um then i would go and fly during the day once or twice if the weather was good um and then every month they would let me pay my flight bill which i thought was pretty unusual now that i'm an adult and know how things work in the world so they put a lot of trust in me and i was a regular customer and i had this terrible job where i was throwing junk mail out to the whole world or the whole united states And so it was a great motivator. Um, I stayed at um, my parents' place for about a year after high school and continued to make money and continued to look into where to go to colleges and stuff. Mm. And um, you guys probably remember the TV show, The A-Team.
0: Oh, yes. Uh So
1: Murdoch from The A-Team was kind of my hero, and I wanted to fly helicopters and anything that was in the sky. So I looked into helicopter flight training. I found out it was like three times as expensive as, as airplanes. Mm -hmm. So I continued on at the University of North Dakota, uh, learning how to fly airplanes, got an aviation degree from up there. And, um, then I joined the army after college because I was going to get a mission as a warrant officer and move into flying helicopters. So right. I had this I had this great plan in my head, right? Sure. And as we know, sometimes we set the plan, but the Lord directs our steps. Right? So I joined the army to be all I could be, went down to basic training in Missouri and it was super super cold there. During that time, met some people. One of my drill sergeants was actually a warrant officer, helicopter pilot or something, and or he had worked with them. And uh, I can't remember how the story went now, but he talked to me a lot about aviation. And then the commander that was in charge of us, he said he would write me a recommendation. So I continued on with my Army training and went down and, did my first mos training in fort sam houston met some more people that were aviation people and then when i came back to iowa um, i left my first mos which was preventive medication and may, uh, medicine and went into um, a helicopter unit okay as um, just a sergeant and uh, working in the back of the helicopters so I was a mechanic crew chief, uh, door gunner, and um, was talking to the people in there because they always needed pilots. And so they would send me down for my exam, the physical exam. So I always passed everything but my eyesight. And then they'd say, okay, you can try again. So I did this three times, the third time, that I went in for my eye, eye checks. It was my childhood doctor and for, my, um, for my eyes. And I thought, there's no way I'm going to pass. So that was the time I knew that I have this flaw. It's not going to let me be a pilot in the military. And I accepted my fate, and I spent the last five of my six years in the National Guard as a door gunner. Crew chief, mechanics, so basically sitting in the back of a helicopter, hmm. which is much akin to a drug addict working in a pharmacy. So right. I'd be sitting in the back, and the guys up front, they were like Vietnam era pilots, and I'd be talking to them, and they'd be talking to me, and they'd always say, "Oh, you're a you're a flight instructor. Tell me about how this system works, or tell me about how this works, or tell me about the navigation." So it was it was fun, but it was kind of painstaking because I was always I've always felt like I want to be up in the front I don't want to be sitting here in the back staring out the door I want to be up there you know making it do what it's what it does right and I was um uh, I was a pilot I was multi-engine CFI at this time and you know instrument and commercial and all that but the the jobs were uh, few and far between during those those early years of my aviation career. Um, I was also in civil air patrol at the time. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I met a guy there and he's like, why don't you come work for our department? He was a law enforcement officer. And I said, well, I could, I've been trying to get on with the Iowa state patrol to be in their uh, wing division. And those, doors always kind of shut also. But I did get on with Polk County as a deputy sheriff. Well, when you get hired as a deputy at Polk County during the time that I got hired, you go to jail. Okay. So here I am. I'm, I'm a pilot. I want to fly planes. I'm still in the National Guard, and I'm in jail. And two hours into orientation, I was like, I really hate this job. This is like one of the worst jobs <laughs> in the world. <laughs> so what do you have in, the, in uh, jail? You have a captive audience at least. Right. So <laughs> I uh, would talk to the inmates a lot. and I wasn't flying very much. And the, the whole flight wing idea never really developed at uh, Polk County the way the guy had wanted it to. So I spent three years in jail. And, of course, like all the inmates, I was looking for a way to escape. Mm. And I thought, what better way to escape jail than to go into missions? So I went to a couple of, uh, um, I think it was called Windows on Wycliffe at the time. Okay. And Wycliffe and Jars have a like a sister ship, if I remember right. They they work together well. That's correct. Uh huh. So I thought, well, I could go talk to them. Um, there's I have to back up a little bit. When I was in college, I got married to another aviation student, and during those years, um, things didn't work out right, and he ended up leaving me. So I was also during my jail years. I call him that for lots of reasons. Mm. But um, we ended up divorcing and um, he left, even though I tried to make the marriage work, he still decided he didn't want to be married. And when I went and talked with Wycliffe at the time, they didn't accept people who had been divorced. Mm -hmm. So I went away from that, but I took an application and one of the questions on the application was, does your pastor know that you're interested in missions? And the other question was, do your parents know you're interested in missions? Mm-hmm. And the answer to the both of those questions were no. Okay. So I went and talked to my pastor, and he kind of did a long interview with me. And he asked where I wanted to go and all these other questions. And I said, well, I'd really like to go to um, Europe, maybe Eastern Europe. And when I went and talked to my parents, my mom said, "My actually, my mom cried." And my dad said, "Are you going to go to Africa?" And I said, "I don't think I'll go to Africa, Dad." <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was like, "Okay." So the the three people that this application asked about, they knew, and and then I proceeded to escape from jail by going into missions. Okay. And I went overseas and did that for. Uh, a couple years and then came back to the United States uh, about three years after I was overseas for uh, three years in Poland and Germany. Okay. So I think I need to back up and tell you a little bit about my God story. Sure. Because they, they kind of intersect at a different point. Okay. So when I grew up I always say that uh we were churched we went to church we were in church Sunday whenever people have said whenever the doors were open we were there type of thing and so it was one of those things where you know about God but do you really know who Jesus is and what he has done for you and I would say there's people in my family that know that and then there's people who go to church and they don't really grasp the depth of what Christ has done for us. And I would say I was one of those people that went to church. I could have told you Jesus was the son of God and I knew that he died for us, but it was uh, when I was about 25, I had this thought about if you believe everything why don't you live this way? And so it was a thought that was outside of me. It wasn't something that, that I would normally think about. And I thought, huh, this is, this is true. I'm a, I'm a moral person. But as I started looking into this more, um, moral people don't go to heaven, forgiven people through Christ go Mm -hmm. to heaven. And so I started learning more about, God through his word, and um, I accepted Christ as my Savior and my Lord, that, you know, his blood shed for me, paid for my sins, and I just started following that way by reading the word uh, daily, really just reading lots uh, and studying a lot, and then I started going to, to church again during during those years, sure. and these, these would have been my jail years. And so when I was in jail, I was also talking to the inmates about Jesus, and and they would come up and ask me questions about the Bible. And it was always kind of cool because it was always something that I had studied in the previous uh, couple of days. So I thought, this is pretty cool how God works this all together. So I had mentioned before about how I kind of escaped from jail. I went into Mm -hmm. missions, and I went overseas to Poland, Poland, Eastern Europe um, and we taught English as a second language to people in the Eastern Bloc countries and um, the founder of it he always wanted to use the Bible as a textbook and when he started with the Iron Curtain was still up and they said we don't care we just want you to teach us English so he would take New Testaments over and hand them out to the people that came to camps, and then uh, we'd teach um, people English and also pronunciation and you know conversational English by using uh, the Bible and by you know using biblically based uh, worldviews. Sure. So I came back home from there, and after 2000. Uh, two. It was it was early 2002. Actually, it was Saint Patty's Day 2002, and I worked in the home office in Clear Lake, Iowa, for about a year, and felt like I was getting called out of missions, but didn't really know what to mm-hmm. do. And I, I thought, well, I can go to school and become a medical missionary, and then I could go to a closed country as my occupation and then be a missionary undercover. Sure. Sounds like another great <laughs> idea, doesn't it? <laughs> we plan our steps, but the or we plan we make our plans, but the Lord directs our right. steps. So I went to um Iowa State University for a very short period of time to try to get some of my education that I had missed um post high school. So I'd be ready to go into a, a PA program, a physician's assistant type mm-hmm. program. And uh, I was living with my sister's family uh, in their basement. And she had uh, five kids at the time, five little kids. So I was around a, a bunch of little kids, loved it. Um, but during my time at the school, I developed some really bad headaches and I couldn't study because my head just hurt all the time, and this is this is not normal for me. I don't have suffered from really any physical problems. So I met her uh, one morning. She got up real early, and I got up real early, and we met in the front room. And she says, "What's going on?" I said, "I I can't even study because my head hurts so bad." And she said very wisely, "Well, maybe you shouldn't be doing this. Let's pray about it." We prayed about it. My headache went away during the prayer and she goes, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I'm going to go to school and, and resign and, um, you know, pay back my loans and, and we'll see what happens next. Wow. So I did that and I came back and I thought, well, I need a job and, In the past, I had worked at a library, so I stopped at a library, and I said, hey, you guys need any help? And I was thinking kind of like volunteer help just to keep Mm -hmm. me busy, and they're like, yeah, we need somebody to close and then work on Saturdays. I said, oh, yeah, I can do that, so I got like hired on the spot. (laughs) So I walked in, got hired on the spot at a library, and it was within walking distance of my sister's house, so, I mean, it was just again god's got his hands all over this and i was really afraid of going back into aviation because i had made it such an idol as as a teenager as a young person and i didn't want it to have that kind of control over my life anymore cuz you know i'm i'm walking with the lord now and i want to be his servant i want to be what he wants me to do and i just went through this time frame of oh I know what I'll do for the Lord again I'll go do this and he's like no you're not going to be doing that for me so uh, I hung out at the library and then I thought okay I'm just going to go down and get checked out at the local airport and do my uh, you know my flight review and my instrument uh, get back into you know so I could fly instruments locked in And I had a two to three flight time with this guy named Dave Smith. Second time I flew with him, I looked at him and I said, Dave, you're a believer, aren't you? And he said, yeah, I am. So I thought, Mm -hmm. this is great. I I just out of the blue walk in, get paired with this CFI who's going to help me out. And we just had a a wonderful time. And he said, oh, by the way, they need flight instructors here. Are you a flight instructor? I said, yeah. Yeah. So I walked in, I talked to the guy who um, ran the company at the time, and he hired me on the <laughs> spot. So I ended up being a flight instructor at this place, and I said, uh, I'll give you a year, and then I'll, you know, do probably go to somewhere else. So I was at uh, Exec 1 in Ankeny here, Ankeny, Iowa, for 13 months. And then I got hired as a as a chief instructor over the private pilot program at a school in Utah. Okay. And I just I was just over the moon because I love teaching and I thought this will be great. I like being in the uh, you know the university setting because I went to the University of North Dakota and and you know the 141 school was you know it really helped me and i was just looking forward to to being in another flight school and this is right before the airlines started okay. to explode and start hiring people like crazy so i thought well i can go do this and i again i had never thought to be an airline pilot and my dreams of ever becoming a helicopter pilot have have you know been squashed because of my eyesight so I'm like this will be good so I moved to Utah didn't know anybody there and Utah is a bit different it's there's a lot of Mormon people there there's a lot of good and decent Mm -hmm. people there and so started flying there and I would be like why can't I drink coffee because every time I'd mention coffee they'd be like oh And did they just turn away? And I'd be like, what's wrong with coffee? Well, I learned later they have some ideas that caffeine and other things are are not quite uh, wholesome, I guess is a good word to use. And so I felt like here, God has put me in a place where I can shine Christ again for him. So I kind of always joke that I went out to Utah and did my Mormon okay. mission. And, and uh, I would have a lot of good talks with the students out there. And, and uh, we would talk about just because a building has a certain name to it doesn't mean that you're a Christian if you walk into that building. And I would kind of try to tell them it's kind of like if you walk into a garage, you don't become mm-hmm. a car. you, you got to make a choice to follow christ you've got to make a choice to believe that he's the son of god you know born of a virgin Mm -hmm. mary that he came here to live to die and his blood covers our sins and and that we can be reconciled to him you know to god through christ and so i had i had a lot of good talks out there and one of my favorite talks, it's also a, kind of a sad story, was I talked with this lady a lot about, um, about things, because she was always trying to get me to believe um, a little differently, and I would always bring her back to the Bible, and I finally said to her one day, he, and this kind of goes back to my story, what I said earlier, good people don't go to heaven, moral people don't go to heaven, people who are saved, people who believe, that their sins are forgiven through Christ and his shed blood on the cross. Those are the Mm -hmm. people that go to heaven. And that just, that really made her think. I mean, it stopped Mm -hmm. her in her tracks. And uh, the sad part of that story is uh, she died um, about a year and a half later. um, After we had that conversation. So I don't, really know what happened but i trust the good god that that he um brought his the words that i spoke to her that he brought her you know made her think about that and i trust that that he knows so that's always been kind of a sad sad point right well in Uh, let's see. It would have been about 2010, I think, or maybe early 2011. People were just getting hired by the airlines like crazy. So I thought, well, I'm going to try this. So I put my application in to Colgan and lo and behold, they hired me. So I, you know, turned in my time and I went off to training and I flew the Q400. Mm -hmm. So the dash. Yeah, I, I loved it. And went to my first base was Houston. Houston uh, for a person who has lived in the Midwest and the upper Midwest and a place like Utah that's kind of cold in the winter and hot in the summer. Houston was always hot and it was just wow. But it was a, it was a good time learning the Q400 and was there for I think about a year and a half and then they they declared bankruptcy on April first. Oh. No joke. And so we were thinking, well we don't we're not gonna have any uh, jobs left and we're gonna get furloughed. So the bottom four hundred people we kind of all left to the four winds. So after another short time at Compass I was like, uh, this isn't going to work out, because just I could just tell there was some things going on with me personally, so I um, resigned from Compass, um, so I was at Colgan and Compass, and then I was missing flying real bad about six months later, and I got hired at my current airline, and uh, again, I flew the Q400, and now I fly the Okay. Embraer. And mm-hmm. I just Great love airplane, it. it. But it, yeah, it is. And as I look back through this, through my aviation before and then after, I, I want to say like before really following Christ and then after following Christ. And he took me through a few detours. You know, he took me to jail and then he put me on the mission field and then he brought me back, um, one of the things that I really see is that he's made me an occupational missionary. Some people call mm-hmm, it being a right. tent maker. Um, but but it's really kind of like, hey, I'm going to give you this job. And you're going to have you know, enough money for food, clothing, whatever you need, housing. And you get to talk about me wherever you go. And I'm like, that's a really cool yeah. gig if you think about it. And so that's kind of what I do. And then um, you had mentioned, Keith, uh, we work with the CERT program at our airline. And then I've also gotten into this past year working with um, anti-human trafficking and bring awareness to that at the, uh, okay. at the airline level okay. also. So uh, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I have to backtrack again less. Um, once I started following the Lord and he took me to jail, I thought there's going to be no harder place to serve than to serve with inmates. Well, the day-to-day physical was kind of hard because, you know, inmates don't really want to be there because their right. freedom's taken away. But if they're honest with themselves, they know why they're there. And so it made it talking to them kind of easy, talking to them about things of the Lord, talking to them about the Bible. That was a little bit easier. And then I went overseas and, you know, you've got to carrot. People want to learn English. People may not want to learn about the Bible, may not want to learn about Jesus, but they want to learn English so they'll in some cases, suffer through um, learning about the Bible so that they can learn English. Well, then when he brings you back home, you're back in your own culture, and Mm -hmm. it's kind of difficult. Well, then he puts you in aviation, it gets a little more difficult, (laughs) because... because we're affluent. We, we know who we are. We like what we do. We like the benefits that the job brings, the travel, the, you know, the money, whatever we need at good places. And so every time God moves me into another field, it's like I have harder and harder people to reach. And so a couple of years ago, when I got into aviation about 10, 12 years ago, I should say airline aviation I just said to the Lord, I'm not asking to be moved anywhere else. I'm not going to try to escape from any anywhere. I'm not I'm not going to try to make my own ideas and and um, escape to a mission field or think I can, you know, become a physician's assistant or any of these things. I'm not going to plan anymore. I'm just going to let you direct where you want me to go. So about 8 years ago, I married a guy and Don and I do a lot of police chaplaincy. And if you know anything about police, they're a more difficult field than working Mm. with aviation people. (laughs) So so it's just like, okay, God is continually bringing me into fields that are harder and harder to work with. And now I feel like he's called me into working with um, people or at least bringing awareness to human trafficking, which is a very difficult, um, Mm. area, very, in some ways dangerous, but, um, just difficult because I think a lot of people don't know how bad it is Mm. and how rampant Mm -hmm. it is. So I've, um, um, went in, last year to, I was, I was invited to go to InfoShare, and I said, well, I can talk about human trafficking, so the FAA InfoShare during, I think it was November, early November, I talked to the pilots, the flight attendants, and the dispatchers, the three breakout groups, about um, human trafficking, and in September, so a couple months before that, I actually took a course from uh, ARC. It's called the Association for the Recovery of Children, and they have a great website, and they have a great training course that you can take, and it'll prepare you to see um, and be able to do something about it It's more than just being aware, um, but they train their people that go through their course how to spot it and to kind of do all the things that will help the people who are trapped in human trafficking to get out. Mm. So um, I highly recommend, you know, go to ARC and, and look it up if you're interested in it.
0: A-R-C, uh, right? Is it A-R-C.com? A-R-C dot com? Is that their website?
1: Dot, uh, it's called uh, recoveryofchildren.org.
0: Okay, I'm going to make a note of that.
1: And their their training courses are on there also. I think it's recoveryofchildren.com slash training is oh, okay. their training courses. Neat. Yeah. And... That's another thing is, as aviation people, we walk around airports every day. We're kind of the visibly invisible because, you know, we have to be there and people really don't know we're there, but we can be eyes and ears and be looking for people. We see people Mm -hmm. that are lost all the time, right? Well, are we looking for people that look like they're being controlled? Now, there's there's a couple indicators, you know, do they have a cell phone?
0: Mm-hmm. Everybody
1: has a cell phone, right? Everybody has some kind of thing that they're plugged into or they're listening to. Well, when you start seeing a teenager with an older guy that may or may not look like her father and she doesn't have a cell phone or she doesn't interact with him in a way that a parent would interact mm-hmm. with a child, it okay. might it might be a clue. Now, that doesn't mean it doesn't mean that that is human trafficking, but what are some of the other signs? Do they have paper tickets? Is she dressed appropriately? You know, in Chicago, you probably need a coat. You probably shouldn't be wearing cutoffs and a t-shirt in December yeah. or January. And, you know, where are they going? Are they going to a place where there's a big sporting event? Are they going to a place that is just, you know, like podunk town, wherever? Cause human trafficking also follows some of these big sporting events. So there's all these different clues and you can kind of put together some of this stuff and, and look at it. And do you know what your national hotline is? Do you know what the local, where the local police are located in the airport that you're at? Does your company have, Uh, procedures in their manuals what you should do have you yourself taken the training as an airline professional and there's training on blue lightning but you know go one step further further does does the airline or the company the aviation company you work for even have training Mm. it for human trafficking so there's all these questions that you can be prepared to answer or to um, help people and after a while mm. evil gets bold and they're going to be in your face they're going to be on your airplanes they're going to be in the back do your flight attendants know what to do if your flight attendant calls up in the front do the pilots know what to do do the pilots know who to call You know, does your dispatcher know what to do when you get to the gate so there's all these questions that you know it may never happen But, as, again, as evil gets bold, they're going to be more and more in our face. Are we going to stand up for what's right? Are we going to stand up for, you know, the orphan, the widow, the foreigner? In this case, the person who's enslaved in human trafficking or sex trafficking? Hmm. Are we going to stand up for these people? And do we have a plan to do that? So, it's kind of overwhelming, but how do you eat an yeah. elephant one bite at a time? So s- start looking at it. If it's something that you feel like God is calling you into, maybe the first step is getting your airline to partner with the Blue Lightning campaign.
0: I love that. Um, thank you for that. You know, I just have – I know I've had one flight um, – this was about a year or so ago, uh, heading over into New Orleans, and we had a passenger. Or it was a family. It seemed very odd. seemed very out of place, and our flight attendants alerted to it, and we were able to notify law enforcement. and There was, uh, and they they dealt with the situation. But I I was. Uh, um, touched by how well our flight attendants on that particular flight, um, how quickly they were able to recognize that, yeah, this is very out of place. And, um, you know, when we, when we landed, we were met by the, by the police and they escorted them out. And of course we never heard what, you know, what happened on it, but there was definitely something going on. There was definitely, it was definitely out of place. And so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, I appreciate that kind of those things to look about. You know, those indicators to be looking for. Because um, I'm, I'm sure you're probably like me at times. You know, you, you you walk through the terminal and amongst a sea of people, and we get so task oriented, so task focused. You know, we just you know beeline to the gate, get on the airplane, get ready to go. And, you know, we don't oftentimes stop to focus on the people that, that are about to get on our airplane <laughs> and we don't, yeah, um, I know i yeah. it can be very, very yeah, task true. oriented and oftentimes I have to slow down and stop and remind myself that, you know, the reason I'm here is to serve people. and. I've I've made it a point right. lately to to be more engaged with the passengers as much as possible. You know, um, greeting and and wishing them well as they're leaving the airplane, and try to interact a little bit. You know, um, so that's something I've been trying to do lately as well. But no, I appreciate that um, awareness of of child trafficking. Because obviously we we know that is a huge a huge issue. Um, yeah, so yeah. As a, as a as a captain on the ERJ one seventy five, um, what's your favorite thing about that airplane? And I and I and I'll share this. So when you know... I when I entered the airlines, I came from flying DC threes built in nineteen forty five, nineteen forty four, and and my first. Right. jet was the 175 and so um that transition wow. for me was extremely difficult <laughs> i had never flown glass i had never flown flight directors yeah. didn't have autopilots um i, I did not know how to read yeah. a pfd <laughs> i i was a steam gauge, steam gauge guy right and the first you know in the sim i was like i have no idea what this thing is telling me or what it's doing <laughs> but i slowly learned that it's much more about right. flying a computer than it is flying an airplane.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it is. And uh okay. it actually is my first jet because when when i went to colgan i flew i flew right. the the right. Q400, the big prop. And so what i love about the uh the 170 175 um i always tell everybody this plane's a cupcake mm-hmm. you can get messy that's a good analogy. A cupcake. and and it's it's just again i i i, I probably shouldn't say this but uh. you can, there's more than one way to skin a horse and you can you can go in and you can do things depending on and that's one thing i like about the freedom of our company they're like these are the things that you have to do. These things we leave like up pilot to technique. pilot uh-huh. technique or pilot decision. Yeah. And and I really like that because there's things that I'd be like, I wouldn't put it in that mode to, you know, don't put it in flight level change when you're at 20,000 feet and you need to get down to 10,000 feet because right, it'll do exactly. it. It'll just be uncomfortable. <laughs> so, so there's there's just, for me, mm-hmm always something new to learn because I'm watching my first officers and you know a lot of them I I tend to fly with a lot of new people so a lot of them come out of training and I'm learning from them things that they've learned in training I'm like hey why'd you do it like that so it probably would be that way with any airplane but that's one of the things I love about my job is that there's always a possibility to learn. There's always a possibility to do something a little bit different or a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, some things are different. Right. Some things in my opinion are better, but, but, uh, that's one of the things I do love about it. And it's, uh, it's just, it's just such a easy, but yet you still got to respect it because you can get messy <laughs> eating a cupcake and just go back and and do it and keep. Um. I'm sorry, my husband just walked in and I think he's looking for something. I so you're gonna have under, to put us on hold. <laughs> okay. okay, he says he's got it under control. So <laughs> so just uh, constantly reviewing the systems and I've been on the plane now I think seven mm. years. But there's always something that I'll go back and I'll go like, huh, mm. I didn't know that. And like now I'm getting mm-hmm. ready for ground school and then sim here coming up because I always have them in the spring. And I'm thinking, how did I miss that? Like the first seven times I went through this, but there's always something new to learn. And right. And that but that's true about aviation. If you become a lifelong studier. Then you're always going to learn. New things, and sometimes better, sometimes different Mm -hmm. of what you've been doing.
0: Right, because we can get into the habit of doing things just by rote, and and it just becomes so commonplace, which leads to complacency that we're not really, at times, not really thinking about what we're doing. (laughs) We're not really thinking about okay, why did I, you know, in the Airbus, it's you know, the Airbus is built very much the same off of the. ERJ, there's incredible similarities. Instead of flight level change, we have open descent. But you know, but it's kind of the same thing. It goes to idle. And you're okay. right. If you're at thirty thousand feet and you pull open descent, yeah, it'll do it. But it's gonna go to idle and descend at four thousand feet a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's gonna be uncomfortable.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's like, gonna be okay, uncomfortable. Well, <laughs> yeah, you
0: could do that, <laughs> but um, not the best. Not the best method. But but that's a very good point. Um, yeah so one of my favorite questions I always ask people, and we talked about this the other day is, so is there a biblical or life principle that you've learned through aviation about God?
1: Oh yeah. And I heard this years ago. Um, there's I mean, a couple of Psalms that I really like. One is, uh, I think it's Psalm one 1932. I will run the course of a, of commandments I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart and as we uh, uh, this goes back to the learning thing as you learn it keeps you sharp it keeps you from becoming complacent Mm -hmm. you used the complacency word a little bit ago and and as we continue to learn in aviation he continues to show us new things whether it's about the plane or whether it's about, you know, his his goodness or whether it's, you know, the person that's sitting next to you that needs encouragement or your flight attendants that just need to be listened to for a little bit. So as we become more relational with him, he helps us become more relational with others, which you've already mentioned it. Pilots can be very task-oriented. And can be like, let's just get to the plane, do our job, get to the hotel, go home. Get to right. the plane, do our job, go home. And and we need to to have our eyes and our ears open. And and that that's been a good one. Uh, years ago, when I was a CFI, I actually prayed about it, this. Was just from Psalm ninety twelve. Teach us to number our days, Lord, and help us, you know, to be wise in them. And after that point, I think I probably should have died about eight times. And I was just like, wow, okay, if God's not teaching me to number my days, <laughs> he's, he's showing me the importance of, of mm-hmm. our life and, and how we need to use it. And with that, um, Psalm 6820, our God is a God of deliverances. He provides escapes from death, and I can't tell you what translation that's from, but um, I just was thinking about that as I think about how many times he's spared my life, because I told you that uh, I didn't pass the eyesight test um, for to become a helicopter pilot mm-hmm. back in the early 90s. Well, um, if I would have become a helicopter pilot, I probably would have joined the regular army and stayed in for 20 plus years and I don't know if you remember mm-hmm. all the wars that we had in right. the 90s and where they were sending all their troops but I would have been in the Middle East um, for most of that time and a woman Christian American in the Middle East probably wouldn't have been a good uh, right military person probably wouldn't have been a good combination if something right. would have ever happened mm-hmm. in a helicopter for me And I just think God designed me with a flaw to protect my life. And I'm just, that still humbles me.
0: Yeah. One thing I've been challenged with, uh, lately and listening to a part of my, uh, I like to listen to podcasts. (laughs) That's the reason I'm doing this podcast, but there's a podcast that I listen to as part of my quiet time. When, when I go on jobs and things, um, and lately, the the host has been talking about Psalm 23. And, you know, typically we always think of Psalm 23 in terms of a funeral. But as I've been listening to this, it's really dawned on me that, oh, no, no. Yeah. Psalm 23, when, when it talks about the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. It has yeah. really transformed my thinking of like, is like, I tend to I tend to fight you know what when, when you know things aren't going my way in life you know we tend to want to fight that and and battle and and instead I'm it's it's really teaching me that you know what sheep are dumb <laughs> sheep are just dumb right and uh, and yes. you know a shepherd has a, a, has his crook and he has his his staff and a shepherd protects the sheep, guides the sheep, feeds the sheep, provides for the sheep, you know, provides shelter for the sheep. And it's kind of dawned on me. It's like, hold on. God is telling me that he is my father. And he is a good father. And he's also telling me that he is my shepherd. Yes. And and it dawned on me. And this guy was saying that, you know, Worrying or not trusting God, not surrendering to God, is essentially a form of practical atheism. It's basically saying that, God, I know you exist, but because I don't trust you, then I don't believe in you. I don't believe that you can meet my needs. I don't believe that that you are going to shelter me and protect me and provide for me, and so on and so forth. And so that's been really challenging to me that, you know what? yeah, I need to remind myself every day that the Lord is my shepherd. And because he is, then I want for nothing. Because he's promised. These are promises of his that he will provide for us. He will guide guide us, whether it's through, like you said, you know, um, eyesight and not being able to fly a helicopter. Well, now you see You've lived long enough that you see how that wasn't a curse. That was actually a blessing. And, um, you know, when things happen in our lives and we feel like God is taking something away from us. No. He's actually giving us something. We just have to be patient (laughs) and seeing what it is. There's a reason. And it's always for our good always for our good and that's just so hard right it's so easy to say but it's just so hard to do but that's kind of been a a challenge for me going into this new year that each day I'm going to remind myself that God is my shepherd and I shall not want
1: yeah yeah
0: because he's just amazing
1: and and there's it brings there's such a peace when you realize that and and it brings you into a place mm-hmm. where you can you can just rest and and as we know chaos oh yes people are stuck in airports there's snowstorms there's bad weather but we can have peace and and people you know, it goes back again we're the visible invisible we're the Mm. visibly invisible in an airport and we can, we can see those people who are struggling, you know, at the airport because that's, that's where we live. We live in airports. We see that we can go up to them and give them a kind word. We can go up to them and say, Hey, where are you going? And we can go up to them, point them to the right gate and all these things. And, you know, it's yep. kindness, and you go back to the fruit of the spirit: mm-hmm. love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right. goodness, faithfulness, self-control. And you can you can be kind to people, and and we know in the past couple of years, especially after the COVID hit, and some of the stuff going on, just how mean some of the oh, people yes. are to our to our poor gate agents. <laughs> this mean. And sometimes it's the gate <laughs> right. agent that needs to be talked that needs to, well they just need to be talked off right. the ledge and say hey tell me what's going on cuz i i can help share that burden with you and uh, you want to talk about another truth that i've learned about god with aviation is you don't have to quote book chapter right. and verse for it to be his truth you can stated out loud whether it's a proverb whether it's a verse whether it's you know the principle and it's still truth and truth will still bring peace and and hope to people who may or may not know christ and if they do know christ right they'll realize they have a brother or sister right there if they don't know christ they just have the word implanted in them very good point
0: well, can you believe we're already up to an hour? <laughs> These wow. go by so yeah. fast. These go by so fast. I'm like it amazed. goes fast. <laughs> but um, it's been great having you on. I've really enjoyed your story. I've really enjoyed your, your testimony. Thanks. Um, and and uh, your story is like a puzzle, You've 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 got little pieces all over the place um, yes. of different things you've done, but yet they all fit together to uh, to show a beautiful picture of what of what God has done in your life, and uh, yeah yeah. Um, yeah I've really enjoyed listening to your story and have loved having you on today. I want to thank you so much. Do um, you have any concluding thoughts?
1: You're welcome. <laughs> okay. Uh, not really. Just no. Just I would encourage people to get into the Word and and read it for themselves. Yeah, you know, don't ever take anybody else's word for the Word, and and test it. You know, there's a few okay. things. I guess I do have something to say. There's a few. There's a few things that God says, and and uh, one of them is in. Malachi, when he says, test me mm-hmm. in this and see if I will not throw them floodgates of heaven, you know, bring the right. whole, basically it's bring the whole tithe into the story. Right. You can never out, you can never out give, give God. And then as far as you as an individual, as a person walking, and maybe there's some people that right. are like, oh, I can't trust God. Test him. Test and see and put your full weight on him right. and see if he, if he isn't faithful every time. And then find somebody to talk yeah. to about your walk with the Lord. Because as you talk with somebody mm-hmm. else, you'll encourage them and right. they will encourage you. Yeah. Iron sharpens iron.
0: It's perfect. Perfect. Yeah. All right, Mickey. Well, I will let you go. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, I hope this episode is really a blessing to all those that that hear. And I wish you a very happy New Year. All right. Well, we'll talk again soon.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much.
0: All right. (laughs) Bye-bye.
1: Okay. Sounds great. Thanks, Wes.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Plain Truth Podcast. If you enjoyed our show, please subscribe and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Be sure to come back next week for more discussions and stories about God's Word and the amazing world of aviation. Until next time, set your course straight and stay on track.